Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. Can we give it up for our worship team this morning? Yeah. Um, right now, we're about to do our Dollar Club ministry, and... What the Dollar Club ministry uh, does is we give to someone in need each and every week. And this week we was able to, uh, there was a guy that we uh, knew about. He had um, holes in his shoes. The bottom was falling out. And we was able to come alongside of him and made sure that he had a functional pair of shoes. So uh, thank you for the dollars that you give because they go a long way. So each and every week again, what we do with the Dollar Club ministry is we find someone in need and we meet that need. So while we're uh, collecting the dollars, Rob's gonna play the announcement video. Welcome to Matthew's Table. Here's this week's announcements. If you're new to the church, we want to connect with you. We have a simple way of doing this. If you're online, you can click the link in the description. If you're here in church, you can go to the connect cards in the back of the church located on top of the offering boxes. Here at Matthew's Table, we make it simple and easy to give. We have three ways of doing this. The first way, you can go to www.matthewstableownsboro.com. The second way of doing this, you can text Matthew's Table, all one word, to 73256. The third way of doing this, you can go to the back of the church and we have offering boxes next to the back doors. Thank you for your generosity. If you're a member of the church, you need to be serving. If you want to do this, there's plenty of opportunities. Just get in contact with one of the leaders here at the church. Serve your local church. Here at Matthew's Table, we believe in discipleship and community. We do this by having D groups and small churches. We pretty much have them every day of the week. If you're interested in this, just get in contact with one of the leaders. If you didn't know, we do have a Wednesday night service. It's called Truth and Grace, and it's basically our version of a recovery meeting. Uh, we take biblical principles and just apply them to everyday life. We hope to see you there. Also on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock, we have our youth group. You can contact Rob and Heather Penny if you have any youth that you want to get involved. Uh, they're just going to teach your children about Jesus in a way that they can understand. If you didn't know, we have men's and women's Bible studies every Sunday between services at 945. If you're interested in either one of these, contact Stephen Kidd or John Martin. Hey church, we have uh, something very exciting coming up. It's the church-wide clean day. It's gonna be April 24th. We'd love to have everybody out here. We're gonna be cleaning the church from top to bottom, from side to side, just making this place nice. It's a great opportunity for you to serve and uh, to bless other people. For more information, just get in contact with one of the leaders here at the church. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I hope everybody has a blessed week. Me and my family, we found our seat at the table. Good morning, church. Hope everybody brought a jacket this morning. Uh, I was the guy who was putting on Facebook to be sure to set your clocks ahead and don't be late to church. And woke up late this morning, uh, very late, uh, scrambling around, hurrying. And then Nick sends a text and says, hey, by the way, they said the heat's not working. So I was like, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. But anyways... We're glad you're here. If you're online joining with us, we're thankful that you chose to worship with us. Um, just another couple quick announcements is the, uh, the clean day that was mentioned, uh, we're moving that to uh, the 17th of April, so a week prior to what was mentioned on the video announcement, because uh, there were just some logistical things was taking place on the week of the 23rd and or whatever that week was and uh, we would get more participation if we moved it so we moved it so just know April 17th um, we'll be doing the clean day here instead of the week mentioned in the video and uh, also you'll notice we've been asking you guys to make sure you fill out your connect cards and I think they've put them under the chairs is that right Nick? There should be connect cards under the chairs um, so that we can add your numbers to the mass text that goes out and informs the church 
things that they may need to know. For example, we sent one out this morning. Who all got it? Oh, that's what I'm talking about right there, right? No, I'm just kidding. But you, we could have sent one out and said, hey, the heat's not working. Make sure you bring a jacket. And you wouldn't know unless you added your number to this mass text. So make sure you fill these out and drop them in the box back there so that we can get everybody's information updated in our systems and the, th uh, and the new software we're using to keep up with everybody. Uh, also quickly, next weekend is our commitment class. So if you've been attending here for a while and you feel like God is calling you to serve here for this to be your home church, then you can join us right after first service right here in the choir room. We'll be hosting our commitment class. And maybe you're just praying through it and you're trying to find out if God's calling this to be your home. And that's something you could sit through and hear from the pastors, uh, our expectations for members, but also the members' expectations of the pastors. So it'd be a very good thing for you to participate in if that's something that you've been thinking about or praying about and so forth. So make sure you have your bulletin so that you can uh, fill in uh, the notes and stuff. Uh, also notice this here, this right here. We've got a, uh, a, an excellent youth ministry. Um, they had almost 28 kids Wednesday night. And it's growing, and uh, we have some youth who have never been to a church camp. They don't even know what that is. And would never have a chance unless we all pull together and try to raise the money necessary to send them to a youth camp so that they can hear the word of Christ and they can fellowship with other Christians and see what other um, young adults who lead those youth camps, how they're living their lives and what they have to say about that. And all you have to do is you pull one of these notes that's listed one through uh, whatever it is, 110. Nick got the $1 one, I'm not sure why, but uh, you could grab one of those and that's the number of dollars that you would put into an envelope and give back to one of the leaders here so that we can contribute to the youth camp, right? Like, that's our next generation of the church, guys, right? If you haven't noticed, our culture is getting more progressive as time goes on. And doing away with all Christian um, worldviews as uh, the culture continues to grow. So, like, this is just something, this is huge. We want to send our youth, uh, youth camp is not their solution, Jesus Christ is, right? It's not an event that you can be guaranteed if you send your youth that they're going to become Christians. However, uh, what, uh, what a benefit it would be to participate by grabbing the number 12 and putting $12 in and somebody later standing up here testifying to how they come to know Christ because of your $12, right? So just consider those things. Uh, uh, other than that, I believe that's all. Is that all the announcements? Nick? Okay, let's pray. I need help this morning. Father, we give thanks just for what you have done for us and what you're doing with us. And uh, Lord, we need help right now to... Um, guard our minds and our hearts, allow us to focus on you and your word, and learn what it is that you have for us this morning through, um, through Galatians chapter 6, and uh, just help us love you more in a way that only you can do. It's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as you guys know, we have been uh, walking through the book of Galatians, verse by verse, chapter by chapter for probably six months now, I don't know, and just carefully unpacking everything that Galatians has to offer, uh, and, and more than anything, we've probably been learning uh, from some of the mistakes that the early church in Galatia had made, and as Paul is drawing to the end of his letter, he's again teaching, encouraging, and warning the folks in Galatia using an illustration that transcends time and applies to everyone. Everyone should be able to understand his illustration this morning, that illustration being farming. Mm. Farming. 
Y'all look excited. We're going farming this morning, church. And I don't see many of you being thrilled about that, but I promise you God has something for you in this. And you may not know this, but the majority of my family comes from farming communities. Back home is what they called it, because apparently now we're in the big city. I don't know, right? Owensboro is the big city to all of my mom and dad's family back home. And one of my earliest memories as as a young boy was going back home with my mom to her parents' farm, get this, called Gilgal Ranch. That was the name of it, where my grandparents had the traditional swing on the front porch, the big wooden front porch on the front of the house, and next to the swing was my grandpa's spittoon, and not far from that was the outhouse where you, you know, right? My sibling's father uh, and his family, we had different dads, so my, my sibling's father and his family was also farmers and had large crops of backer. And they would work summers a planting and a cutting and a spiking and a hanging and all that other stuff that I had absolutely no interest in doing. And believe it or not, I actually had a short career in cutting tobacco myself. By the way, backer is tobacco. But I had a short career in cutting tobacco myself for some extra summer cash. And I do mean short. Like, I got there early and took a group of friends of mine, and it was already so hot that I was sweating, and uh, they're all dressed in bibs and boots, and I've got my Tupac shirt on, not knowing what I'm fixing to get into, and they're all, like, they know what they're doing, and they line us up, and they tell me what I'm about to do and how to do it, and basically they blew the whistle and it was time to go and there was about 15 of us and every one of us was in front of a row. And I took off and I got about six plants down on spiking, cutting and spiking, and looked up and I guarantee you they was probably 30 or 40 plants down. And I knew right then that this was not for me. And I literally got in the car and left the friends that I took with me there and went home. Like, that's how done I was with it, right? I knew right then I didn't want anything to do with farming. And needless to say, my feelings towards that career path was not something that I was going to consider. And we could argue being raised in the city could have contributed to that, or maybe their lifestyle of getting up at the crack of dawn and slopping hogs and feeding chickens and doing and cutting backer and all that stuff could have contributed to it, or just the, the, the hard labor involved in all of the different uh, weather that they have to endure could have also played a part. But quite frankly, it was just that I had no interest in it. It was not appealing to me, right? I was a city boy who played sports, who had no time for any of that foolishness. Not only did I not have an interest in farm life, but I mocked those who did. In high school, there was the 4-H club. I don't know if they still have that anymore, but, and it was all the country boys and girls from in the counties that, and they would be a part of that, and, uh, you know, I would act as if I was better than them because I wasn't in that because it just didn't seem attractive to me, so I'd turn my nose up to those who participated in those activities. Mainly because in my mind, outhouses and spit tunes and all those things, farmers were primitive beings living in past times. And I didn't want nothing to do with it. What I didn't know at the time, mocking the farming lifestyle, was that farmers get the last laugh because they had a secret that made me the fool. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, or if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along with me on the screen. 
verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. It's the Word of God, amen? And guys, by recognizing, either y'all are still half asleep, or you just aren't as thrilled about farming as I am, uh, brace yourself because it's about to get even more exciting. Because Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in between dealing with the restoration of the sinner that Nick dealt with last week, verses 1 through 5, that we are to gently restore the sinner back to Christ, carrying others' burdens, loving and forgiving them. And then this week, 6 through 10, where we have a firm warning, verse 6 is right there in the middle of it, which seems to be out of place in the context of those two topics. Paul inserts this verse reminding the church that due to the spiritual instruction that they are benefiting from, that they're receiving from their pastors, they should be sharing their money or material possessions with those leaders. Now, some of y'all only heard money. So let me make something very clear. Paul is not talking about your money. He's talking about God's money. That each of us that are following Jesus Christ and committed to a local body of believers should know that we owe to that church that we're a part of. And whether you realize this or not, this is one of the many proof texts for the believer giving generously to their church to help support those that give of themselves to serve by teaching the Word. And I realize some of you might not understand this, but the office of pastor is one that's taken very serious here at Matthew's table. One way I can say that in total confidence is that uh, each Sunday, whoever's preaching is held accountable to 20 hours of work on that sermon. That's minimum. 20 hours invested in the sermon. Minimum. Praying, meditating, reading, researching, studying uh, solid commentaries, practicing their sermons so that we can serve you guys well and be sure to teach and preach gospel-centered biblical truths. And Jesus affirms this same thing when he sent the 72 out to minister to others to share the gospel uh, uh, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. In Luke chapter 10, verse 7, he says this, Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. And then Paul also would say in, uh, to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 11, we have sown spiritual seed among you. Is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? So there are just a few of them that would support what Paul's saying in Verse 6 there, that the church is to provide a means of living for those who've been called and committed to the pulpit here, right? To the office of pastor. And all that being said, because of your financial contribution, we're able to focus on the biblical instruction, teaching, preaching, right? The guidance, counseling, and then the spiritual attention, just praying for each of you daily, planning uh, prayer nights, worship nights, outreaches, all these things that help you grow spiritually. And whether you realize it or not, we'll, we'll begin to understand this a little bit later in our passage. This is very much so a part of the lesson that Paul is teaching us this morning. 
And can I add just a couple things quickly? One, Stephen Kidd receives absolutely no financial contribution. The church uh, leadership in just in recognizing his uh, sacrifice and all of the things that he does for us, we had offered him a very small token of our appreciation, and uh, he declined and said he'd rather the church have it, right? Worship team, they don't, they don't receive any financial contribution. The sound team, the media team, there's very, very few people who get a dollar from Matthew's table, and I think that's, that's worthy of being said, right? It's a big deal. Um, but another thing that I want to uh, add is, guys, um, this is not easy. This is hard. I don't have to explain that to most of you, like most of you kind of have an idea, but carrying the burdens of all of the individuals who are committed to Matthew's table, counseling in crisis situations, worrying about those who are a part of the church, their struggles, the difficulties that they're, they're dealing with, all these things. Uh, there's, there's nights, there's weeks where Nick don't even sleep at night, and there's nights where I cannot shut off what I know someone's dealing with. I can't, I can't watch TV. I can't do nothing that, that a normal person would because my heart is broken for them. Like, this is heavy. But the one thing that I do want um, you guys to consider is not only... Um, the financial contribution that you guys um, give here by way of tithe and offering and all those things. But every once in a while, man, just consider encouraging these brothers. Lift them up, compliment them. Hey, man, it was, it was a great service Sunday. Appreciate all your hard work. Like, we need that, I promise you, right? And by sowing that into us, you will reap a, a benefit, Amen. All right, let's get started. Verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. This is 7a, this is the first half of the verse. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Clearly a warning here to how the lesson that Paul is teaching, the farmer's secret, could be affected or even possibly corrupted. Deception. Deception, do not be deceived. It's the same thing that got God's people into the mess that they're currently in, that inheritance of sin, where Adam and Eve were deceived, right? And it's the same thing that can cause problems for every one of us in our spiritual growth. And now what needs to be said here is that everyone under the sound of my voice has the potential to be deceived including me. And I know what you're probably thinking. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to get deceived. There's, there's nobody that's going to get over on old Raj, right? Like, you got to get up pretty early in the morning to get over on old Raj. And because I know that you might be thinking that, there's wisdom in talking about this and trying to understand why Paul would warn us not to be deceived. Deception. And the irony in deception is no one at the time of being deceived knows that they are being deceived. That, by definition, is deception. Right? So the Bible paints a very clear picture of how deception happens in the believer's life. And personally, I think it's something that we need to just take time quickly to look at so that we can begin to understand. And first and foremost, the source of deception is from our enemy, Satan himself, who deceived Eve in the garden, who Jesus calls in John chapter 8, the father of lies, in Revelations chapter 12, the great deceiver, right? He is the source of all deception, which means all he speaks is lies. And there's no better place to do that than in the hearts and minds of God's people, who, by the way, are famous for going astray, right? Like Jesus calls us sheep for a reason. And so we take Scriptures like Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, where Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful 
above all things. Uh, other theologians would say the heart is an idol factory, right? If you read just a portion of the Old Testament, you are going to see God's people constantly being told to follow God, then being disobedient and creating idols for themselves, right? The heart is deceitful above many things. Do not trust your heart. Trust the Word of God. Y'all hear people say, man, just trust your heart, brother. I would say don't do that necessarily, right? It's not that we're, we can't be decent people. It's just that we have to understand how we can be deceived. And in the same way, in James chapter 1, verse 16, James says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. And what's taking place in James chapter 1 to what he's referencing is the fact that when we sin, we shouldn't say that God has tempted us with evil because God can't do that. But rather that sin comes within, from the heart, from our desires. And once we act on that, sin then is conceived. So don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. God's not causing you to sin. That's the enemy, the father of lies. Right? Earlier in chapter 6, last week, in verse 3, it, uh, Paul says this, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So the source of deceit is from our enemy, the Satan, or Satan who plants seeds into our minds that reach our hearts, and our hearts are deceitful, right? And, and sin comes from that. And then Paul says in verse 3 of this very same chapter 6 that, we can deceive ourselves. By the way, it's the primary issue. If you remember in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, it's the primary issue that's being dealt with and the reason as to why he's writing this letter. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Galatians, who bewitched you? Who fooled you into believing that trusting in something other than Jesus is enough? He's dealing with false teachers, right? Which makes me think about um, being deceived in that way would be really similar to like showing up to um, a stadium where a sporting event is taking place and there's people wearing sports jerseys and you assume that they're on the team. You're like taking selfies with them and asking them to sign your tickets and all that stuff. All that being said, I'm trying to communicate to each and every one of you, just because they wear a jersey, it does not mean that they're on a team. And you need to hear that, brothers and sisters. When you log in on the internet, and it's, oh, this guy, he's really good. I really appreciate what well, he never mentioned Jesus and didn't use the Bible, but I really like how he talks, so I'm going to start following him. Don't do that. Don't do that. Use your pastors. Remember the guidance, instruction, the spiritual attention, right? Paul's dealing with false teachers who's teaching false gospels. Not to mention in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, where Jesus himself, this is what he says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Hey, David Koresh claimed to be a form of Christ in Waco, Texas. You see how that went, right? Don't, don't, don't think, well, uh, well, I haven't heard anybody say that they're Christ. There are people claiming, you can Google it. And find, there was a guy in uh, California who had this huge church because he said that he was the new age Christ. And people were following him, right? Be very careful. And Paul also says in the pastoral letter of 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 13, he says, While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. They're out there, wolves among sheep, right? Ephesians 5, verse 6, Paul also says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, back up. So that means that we should back up what we hear with the Bible. 
So when somebody's teaching you something and, and it just isn't settling right in your spirit, you're like, man, it just seems kind of different from what I've, I've learned or heard. Ask them where that's at in the Bible. That's what you do, right? Hey, let's sit down and talk about it. You always do it in a civil, loving way. It's not unloving to say that there's people that are teaching false gospels, guys. <laughs> Paul does it. Matter of fact, Paul uses the names of the people who's doing it. In our culture today, where everybody gets offended, that might offend people. But he does it, right? So it's important. And then obviously, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Paul says, Do not be deceived. Again, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. You know what that means? That means people can influence you. People who are not committed to Christ in the same way that you are. Look, you can't save nobody, guys. You can't. So that idea, well, I'm going to go hang around with these people who aren't living the same way I am or following Christ in the same way I am because they're going to see how awesome I am and then just change their mind and how they're living. That's not how it works. According to the Scriptures, you have a less chance of changing the way that they're living than you do a greater chance. Bad company corrupts good character. And so suffice it to say, that's plenty of reasons why Paul would command us, he would, uh, he would, he's, he's wanting us to understand, to be alert and sober-minded, be on guard. However, just because we have the capacity to be fooled, make no mistake about it, God cannot. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. So beware, but don't be foolish enough to try to fool the only one who can't be fooled. Right? More irony with deception is attempting to fool God when in fact we're only fooling ourselves, right? Well, God ain't going to care that I do this, or God wouldn't really mind that it's just this. Y'all ever hear those? It's, Roger, I just drank a couple beers. It's not like I'm smoking meth. Oh, yeah. Interesting. You're not fooling God or me, to be honest. You're fooling yourself. You're being deceived. And you might think that's silly, like, no one in their right mind would attempt to get over on God. Like, if you had that conversation, hey, do you think you can fool God? They would say, well, no, you can't fool God. But the truth is, we do it every day. We do it every day when we look to something other than Jesus to be fully satisfied. When we reach out for something that the world has to offer for that temporary satisfaction. Um, bottom line is, when a Christian sins, you are mocking God. Period. That means we're all mockers of God, right? And I mean, not intentionally, but you know what I'm saying. We make God look bad. Hey, think about the person who's not a Christian that's watching you and you sin. They see you making fun of God because the same God you claim to follow and believe is the same God that you're not following and believing. It's a mockery. Which brings us to the lesson learned from uh, Paul's agriculture illustration this morning. Verse 7b, the back half of 7. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Right? That's God's unchangeable law and principle. The farmer's secret is what I like to call it. You can bank on it. If you plant a seed, it will grow something. Right? You reap what you sow. And this is farming language that's universal and transcends time, tongue, and tradition so that any ordinary person can understand. I could leave here tomorrow, go to Russia, not speak their language, and they would understand me planting a seed and growing stuff, right? It's universal. It's a principle also that applies both physically and spiritually, so that what you sow is what you get. And when you sow, this is the one thing that I really want you to hear me say this morning, when you sow, you can expect to reap a harvest. Sowing and reaping. Planting, gaining produce. Right? Listen, farmers farm because they can bank on it. 
It's guaranteed, right? What they invest themselves in is more guaranteed than any other career path out there. For example, not too long ago, my ex-father-in-law, who's a retired sheriff, would always tell me, Roger, uh, you need to teach your kids that it's probably best to get an education, but also to uh, be in um, the field of human services. He served the community, the public for years, uh, with total integrity, uh, just a great man, but um, as, as a sheriff, as a cop and, and then a sheriff. He said, you always have them. Yet now, there are cities and states protesting, asking to defund the police. And yes, the number of farmers due to technology has diminished over the years, but those who farm know that they can count on God to provide in the same way a Christian should count on God to grow us in our faith. Amen. Right? Look, Jesus teaches the parable of the growing seed in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And this is how he puts it. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This reaping and sowing is a universal principle that God himself taught while on earth. The farmer, and my favorite part of that passage, is that my, the farmer sows the seed and goes home and goes to bed and goes to sleep. It doesn't say that he sat up and he was, I don't know what's going to happen, like what do I do, you know, and pace the, pace the floor and worry about all of it. He doesn't have to because he can count on God doing the work necessary for a harvest, Right? In the same way, we count on God. If we're sowing into the spiritual things, we should reap a spiritual harvest, right? And I want you to think about that for a moment because the physical applies spiritually. In the same way, farming is not as desirable due to the manual labor and oftentimes denying themselves of city folk privileges. They have a 100% guarantee that their investment is protected by God. All the glitter and glamour that the world has to offer is unappealing to them. Why? Because the stock market might crash, the economy could go into a depression, a nuclear bomb could hit and wipe out half the world, and you're still going to grow crops to harvest to feed people. You always have to have a farmer, right? God and his principles are unchanging. What goes up must come down. Y'all heard that one? It's called gravity. It's one of God's principles. The principle in reaping and sowing is solid. And we take that principle and we apply it spiritually in verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. God's physical law applies spiritually. And verse 8 puts that into perspective for us. Listen, the law of agriculture is that a given seed can only reproduce its own kind. Right? You, you can guarantee that. What that means, if I plant an apple seed, I'm going to grow an apple tree. If I sow to the Spirit, I can reap a spiritual harvest, right? But if I sow to the flesh, I'll reap death. I like what John Stott says. He says, it is not the reapers who decide what the harvest is going to be like, but the sowers. But the sowers. When I went that day, to attempt to cut and spike backer, it had already been grown. It was at its full potential. I was just there to reap the harvest, right? So the one who sows to the flesh will reap corruption, or other translations would say destruction. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. 
Don't be surprised, Christian, that when you sin, you experience consequences. And if you guys remember, in chapter 5, Paul listed the works of the flesh or many sins that Christians find themselves in, and he made it a point to let you know the ones mentioned weren't the only sins. He ends that, uh, I think, verse 25, and he says, things like these. So don't, don't limit all sins to just these things. There's many more, right? And when we sin against God, we, spiritually speaking, are planting seeds of sin that will grow consequences for us, and to think they won't or try to avoid the consequence of that sin is to be deceived and be a mocker of God. Sowing to the flesh is to coddle instead of crucifying your sin. It's petting your sin, right? Stock goes on to say, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse an offense, entertain impure thoughts, or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Point is, we cannot sow to the flesh and hope to reap holiness. Look like Jesus. Job Chapter 4, verse 8 said, As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap the same. Right? But the one who sows to the Spirit can count on reaping life. Paul says those who commit to obeying God produce fruit of the Spirit and can bank on living with God forever. In the same way, the farmer who reaps the harvest after sowing the seed, and the more time we spend investing in good habits and devoting ourselves to fellowshipping with other Christians, reading the Word, meditating on the Word, memorizing Scripture, discussing the Word with other Christians, praying, participating in worship services on Sunday, gathering together, then scattering separately, we can count on growing spiritually. That's sowing to the Spirit. And growing spiritually is as, as simple as avoiding sin and being secure in spiritual, uh, spiritual growth when concentrating on, on God. So we confess this sin, we repent from it, and we focus on God, right? It's that simple. It's as simple as planting a seed and knowing it's going to grow something. That's how simple it is. Crucify your sin by confessing your sin to God. Which causes me to ask this question. Are you feeding the flesh or are you feeding the spirit this morning? It's a valid question when we consider Paul's encouragement in verse 9. He goes on to say, Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So keeping with Paul's farming illustration, every farmer knows there are seasons meant for sowing and reaping, and they plan that way. They also know there'll be seasons that produce abundantly and seasons that produce sparingly. But the reason they continue to do so, regardless, is because if they sow, there will be a harvest. And spiritually speaking, we can have that same confidence. Storms will come. Droughts will happen. You will grow weary and feel as if your efforts are useless. Trust me. And some of you in here are in a season where you feel like giving up. 
In some area of your life, you've grown weary of doing good, and you're currently being deceived to think that there'll be no payoff. And while I want to scream encouraging words at you, share scriptures with you, love on you, and hug you, the one thing I know to be true is seasons come and seasons go. And Paul says, for in due season." Whatever season you may find yourself in this morning, believer, you're still in the best position you could ever be in because this is not your home. Your hope is in what's to come. Your treasure in Christ. C.S. Lewis says, the cross comes before the crown. The cross comes before the crown. And the farmer knows there's hard work in preparing the soil, tilling the ground, fighting off the pests, setbacks from bad weather before they ever reap the harvest. Right? And as a pastor this morning, I don't, I don't only understand some of your struggles that cause you to grow weary, but I've, in, I've endured them myself. Um, last week, I'm, I'm just going to be transparent with you, but it was the lowest point of my journey in Christianity for no reason. I wake up on a Friday, last Friday, and for whatever reason, I fought with everything I had just to get out of bed. There, I was in a funk that Motown couldn't do nothing with. You know what I mean? And, and I had no good reason. Like I, I, so what I do is I start trying to reason and, and like try, I try to work through, well, why am I feeling this way? Why am I struggling? I was just in a place that I had to... I, this past week, I canceled meetings. I, I uh, ignored phone calls. If, if that's any of you, I apologize. Please forgive me. I was just in a place that I could not seem to get myself out of. It was difficult. And unfortunately, uh, I always realize later what, what was taking place, and it's that for whatever reason, God desires that where I'm preaching at, where we find ourselves in the Word at, he, he allows me to feel some of that or see some of that or experience some of that so that I'm preaching from the heart and not from the head. And where there may be a professional expectation from me in choosing to be real, and, and instead of offering up all of these religious things to do, you need to pray more, you need to read your Bible more. Oh, you probably missed, I know you missed church last month, right? Like those are probably some of the things that would be expected from me. It's not what I'm going to tell you this morning. I'm going to tell you what, the, what Paul says. So before I do that, I want to speak, though, to the soul that's been knocked down. I want to speak to the one who would never admit it, but you just find yourself right now kind of struggling, right? You're, you're battling. And it's not necessarily sin. You're just battling doing good sometimes. You don't have the strength to even fight. You, you're struggling to just get out of bed. You're struggling to just get back up. The one who's tired and just going through the motions, right? You're here this morning, and I appreciate that, but you don't want to be here. And so what I would say to you in a very unprofessional way is don't give up. Don't give up. Get up and fight. Christian, get up and fight. In due season. Never give up. Get up and fight. Well, what kind of biblical counsel would you have for me in this situation, Roger? To give, don't give up. Never give up. Not because I promise things will get better, but because I promise God is on your side. And in due season, you will reap a harvest. Yeah. I think about uh, Nick uh, sharing this story. always gives me the chills, but uh, about his brother Chad. Uh, we do this thing where we pray for our one every year. So we'll pick one person. He's like, well, why do you just pick one person? Just pick one. Hush up. We're praying, right? Let's pray. Let's pray. Pick one person that's on your heart and commit to praying for them every day. Well, I pray for people I love. Yeah, not every day. Let's be real, right? So we're going to pray for one person. Well, we did it last year or the year before, I can't remember. And uh, Nick had picked, and you don't tell nobody who they are. Well, Nick had picked his brother Chad. And by picking his brother Chad throughout the year, Chad wasn't responding at all, right? Like it just wasn't happening. 
So Nick was confessing to me in private. He's like, man, I'm just growing weary. I feel like, you know, everybody else's one is like coming to church now and getting baptized. Mine, he's still out there acting a fool, right? But Nick continued to pray, and this morning Chad's with us, sitting right over there in that chair, right? Don't grow weary in doing good. Fight, brothers and sisters. Fight like you've never fought before. Listen, Christians are the only people who have an undefeated father overcoming all things that come against him. And he's also committed to you being victorious. But you have to fight. And the way that you fight is by pressing on. Never give up. Roger, that seems a little inspirational. I just feel like you're, you're being a feel-good preacher right now. Well, I call it biblical. When Paul says, in due season, you will reap a harvest. Do not give up. Never give up! Ever! He said in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 7, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I have kept the faith. He does not say, man, it was nothing but rainbows and lollipops the whole time I was a Christian. He's using fighter language. Because he fought to get to where he's at. We fight. Christians are warriors in a battle for souls. It's real. You want some inspiration? Inspired by that verse is what the greatest fighter in all of history, Rocky Balboa, says. Y'all ready? Hey, those were real movies. Y'all watch all that WWE garbage and act like it's real. Rocky Balboa was real to me. I, 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 can, I can still watch those movies, and when they're over, I'm up like, hey, man, what's up? You know what I mean? I'm ready to fight. This is what Balboa says. Let me tell you something. He's speaking to his son in this movie. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. And I don't care how tough you are, it'll beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit, it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much can you take and keep moving forward? That's how winning is done. Trust me, Christianity is not for the fair-weather, faint-hearted fool whose solution is only to satisfy their own selfish desires. And the prosperity peddlers promising you a life without a fight is not who you need in your corner when times get tough. You need a gospel coach who stands on the truth and understands the farmer's secret, God's principles, so that when storms come, you can persevere. And in persevering, there'll be things that you have to experience. Some common examples that cause attitudes within us and contribute to our weariness and doing good. Things I'm going to remind you quickly of. Music team can start heading this way. We're almost done. One, disappointment. Right? Like, Roger, I, all I know is at this point, I've accepted Christ into my life. I'm following Him. However, I want to be honest with you. There's a few other Christians that, in my mind, I felt like would never disappoint me. Right? I just feel like if they love Jesus, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't betray my confidence. They wouldn't um, not be there when I needed them. We count on folks hoping that they won't let us down. We need some of these Christian brothers and sisters in the most darkest places of our lives, yet they weren't there. Right? Some of you have experienced that, and, and this is what I want to remind you of. On the night before Jesus was crucified, a brother from his own church named Judas betrayed him. He thought he was deceiving Jesus, but he was deceiving himself. Jesus knew. He said, go on, do what you're going to do. Right? And so, 
They end up in the garden where Jesus is going to take time to pray because he knows what's coming, and he brings the disciples with him. But wait a minute. It's not just the other 11 disciples. He takes the three that he's closest to, Peter and the sons of Zebedee, right? And he asks them, hey, stay here while I go and pray so that I can trust you guys are keeping alert for me. You got my back, right? He goes off to pray and he comes back and what happens? They're sleeping. And you know what Jesus said? It's the same thing that you need to hear today. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You should trust God, not man, guys. And then there's discouragement. We all get discouraged, right? We all end up in this place where uh, uh, we could argue, Roger, all I know is that, that I've committed my life to Christ. I'm faithful in praying. I'm faithful in church attendance. I'm faithful in loving others and being selfish or selfless. I'm faithful in all these things that God is calling me to do. And for some reason, God is not showing up in the way I hoped that he would show up. Others are getting promoted. Others are, are getting financial blessings that come out of nowhere. And I feel like I'm not gaining anything. And I'll point you to Daniel chapter 3. Because you need to hear this. Those three brothers, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they didn't do nothing wrong. Matter of fact, they were asked to not worship God anymore. And they, chose, they, they told them, look, Here's the deal, man. I'll never stop worshiping God. They said, we're, we're going to throw you in a fiery, fiery furnace. You know what the, he, they said? But even if he doesn't, that's what you need to hear this morning. Even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't save us from the fiery furnace, I'm going to keep following him no matter what. Even if he doesn't. And then the comparison trap, just quickly, the comparison trap, right? Where you start comparing yourself to others. You're like, man, I don't know. I, I went through Friends of Sinners with the same guy, and all of a sudden he's teaching classes, and he's doing these things. Or, you know, I've been at church, Roger, for 15 years. Nobody's ever asked me to lead a Bible study. I guess they're better than I am. I don't know. I just feel like all this, all this following Jesus stuff has really not been as helpful to me as, as to others. When am I going to arrive? When am I going to get my chance? I would share Jeremiah 25, verse 3 with you. For 23 years, Jeremiah was a prophet called by God in the Old Testament. For 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I've spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. What point do you give up, Roger? Never! You never give up. Imagine showing up week after week and preaching to the same people for 23 years and they never listen. This is what I want to say. This is what I want to say to you in regards to that. The snail made it to the ark by perseverance. No one was better than him. Everyone was passing him on the way to the ark. He didn't stop and say, well, Lord, how come I can't be as fast as them? He just kept trucking. Christian, we got to fight. You want some biblical advice today? Never give up, ever. God will reap a harvest. So this morning, I invite you to join us in the good fight that Paul spoke of. And as we close in song, you take this time to encourage someone who is down. You pray with them. Seek to meet a need because the final verse of this passage is uh, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, guess what? Today's a good opportunity. Right? Let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. Why? Because by sowing into the house of faith, you're multiplying the house of faith. You're empowering the house of faith. You don't know how far encouragement can take a brother. And if you're here this morning and you've grown weary, 
Be reminded that in due season, God will provide. It's the farmer's secret. They can bank on it. If you plant the seed, you will grow a harvest. So you can feel free to come down front or just grab someone near you and ask for prayer. But no matter what, never give up. Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.